always rejoicing. I want to share with you a message today that will encourage you to always rejoice. As the old song goes, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. See, you all were supposed to do it. I was saying it. Some of y'all got it. Thank you. Joyce, and again, I say. My sister had my back. I was trying to scorn the rest of them, but you were doing well. I should have just let you keep singing. That was an oldie but goodie. And that's a kind of fun song to sing with your kids because it will never stop because you keep telling somebody to rejoice. Does everybody get the, get the song there? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. So you got to do it again. Do you get it? you got to do it again and again and again, and it never stops because you keep telling the person, rejoice in the Lord always. Like always means always. You can't stop. But I want to share with you how we can do that, rejoice in the Lord always, and go to jobs, work, home, families. We can be in tough situations even though our hearts may grieve. We can be in all kinds of life situations, but always rejoice. Go with me to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6. A famous passage of the Bible that encourages us to always rejoice. Now, do you think the Bible would ask us to do something, command us to do something that we could not do? Yes or no? Do you think the Bible would say, hey, y'all down there, jump over the moon. Like would the Bible tell you to do something you couldn't do? Or hey, down there, everybody here, this is what I want you to do. I want you to hold your breath for an hour underwater. You know, sometimes people think of Scripture as God telling us to do things we can't do. But really, these are the things we're supposed to do and live our lives by. So when Jesus said, be perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect, with Christ in you, can you be perfect as your Father is perfect? Shake your head yes. That's the right answer. I'm telling you, you can be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So if somebody goes, well, nobody's perfect, nobody's perfect until Christ, the perfect one, lives in them. Then when Christ, the perfect one, comes, lives in them, now they can be perfect because Christ, who is perfect in them, is going to get their hands and feet moving and their mouth moving the way they're supposed to. Jesus is going to show you how to walk and talk. Jesus is going to show you how to live without sin. Now, do Christians always do that correctly? No. But can we? Absolutely. There is never a time when a Christian will sin where Jesus will say, ah, you know what, really wasn't expecting you to do otherwise on that one. What could I expect, angels? Hey, of course they had to sin. That, I, you know, I didn't even see that coming. No, the Bible says that whatever test and temptation we face, God has made a way of escape. Built into the Lord's prayer is the way of escape. We are to pray in our times of temptation, Father, lead me not into temptation. So get me out of here, Father, and deliver me from evil. Even if a woman like we see in the time of Joseph is trying to pull down your pants, gentlemen, you can leave out there naked and still not sin. Can I hear an amen? And women, the same thing. The Bible says what we can do. And here's what it says we can do. Verse 4, first sentence, let's read together. Starts with rejoice, ends with always. One, two, three. Rejoice in the Lord always. Wow. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. That's a command. That's not a suggestion. That is not just an ideal that we can't live by, but we're supposed to hope and try and maybe get close to it. No, this is supposed to be our default as Christians. Does that mean we're goofy and silly and weird? 
Yes, sometimes we are. But is that our expression always? No, of course not. We have to be serious. And what, as C.S. Lewis said, what is the serious business of heaven? It's joy. Hallelujah. The serious business of heaven is joy. To give us faith like a child. To be filled with love and wonder. But of course, we have to have soldiers defending the people like they are right now in Afghanistan. We have to have police officers, doctors. I don't want a doctor laughing and giggling while they're doing heart surgery. So how do we rejoice in the Lord always while we're not always doing fun, rejoicing, giggly things? We're going to learn how to do that today. Are you ready? Amen. We're going to give it a try. I'm going to take God at his word and give it a try. Are you willing to do that today? You've already done it Oprah's way, and look where it got you. You've already done it the way of your favorite rock star. Where did that get you? Many of us grew up looking at these people as role models, and we found out where that got us real quick. And some are just as uh, Forrest Gump said, stupid is as stupid does. Some have not learned their lesson. Because you can be young and dumb, and you can be old and foolish. How many know that? How many have some older friends that are still foolish? I got to pray for my friends that got some gray hair. They're not as wise as they should be. So I'm not looking to the world as my example on how to accomplish this. I'm not going to try to use booze and alcohol to accomplish this. I know some of you need medication, but I'm not going to go out of my way to start taking medication to accomplish this. I'm not going to ignore the problems of the world to accomplish this. I want to understand what Paul meant when he said this because I take him as a person who had an encounter with Jesus and that he wrote these words, God breathed, theanustas, as he was inspired to do so. And they have been preserved by our brothers and sisters who have laid down their lives throughout the ages. And so I want to read and to understand and to ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten Enlightened so that we can obey. So I'll keep reading, beginning again at four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And all God's people said... Amen. I think we just got our answer. Let's go back to the beginning and begin to understand how we can rejoice in the Lord always. Number one, we're going to remind ourselves of it. There is an again. There is a repetition. So we are not going to let ourselves off easy. We are going to begin to meditate on this principle and make it a daily meditation. That today will be a good day because Jesus is with me today. I think it's Pooh and Tigger who hang out. And Tigger said to Pooh, hey, you want to know what day it is? And he said, no, I, I, don't, I don't know. And he says, it's my favorite day. And he said, why? Because today I'm with you. Pooh and Tigger make me always get a little emotional. It's my favorite day because I'm with you. Every day is a good day with Jesus. 
Have I gone to funerals with Jesus? Yes. But it was still a better day with him than a funeral without him. If I have to go to the funeral, I want to go to the funeral with my best friend, Jesus. Man, I'll start crying right now. I was already crying in the back. Do you have to say goodbye to people you love? Yes. Do you have to face hurtful times in life? But I would rather go through it with my best friend, Jesus. You know, I can just imagine us talking to Jesus like that. You know, what, what day is it, Jesus? And Jesus says back to us, it's my favorite day, Joe. And I say back to Jesus, why is it your favorite day? And he says, because I'm hanging out with you. We are the apple of Jesus' eye. Jesus loves us. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We are here to experience and and know God, not just to know him theologically with our mental assent, but to experience him emotionally and for him to touch our hearts and to fill our strength and to give us purpose and meaning to all that we do. And so we're never to forget that life is about Jesus. And Jesus wants us to be rejoicing in him. Do you notice that the center of our rejoicing is in the Lord? We're not rejoicing in the pay raise. Those, those, those are awesome. I'm happy we get those. We're not rejoicing that we have friends or that we have clothes and a beautiful home. We're rejoicing in the Lord. And there is going to be our secret as we go through the rest of these things, as we hold this in our mind and as a remembrance, is that first and foremost, what we're rejoicing in is in God. Because God is always good. He's never changing like shifting shadows. He's never letting us down. He doesn't come in and out of fashion like clothes. He doesn't run out like our favorite TV show. He doesn't run out like our favorite time with our friend. He is forever with us, always by our side. And so then the next thing that he says is, then let your gentleness be evident to all. So you can't be mean to others while you're asking God to be good to you. You have to carry with you the golden rule. This may mean you have to do things that may not always be easy for others, like going to war, arresting, spanking children, arguing with somebody that you have to teach them something. But in all that you do, you ought to be gentle, even in our hardest times. Police ought to be gentle when they're handling criminals. When we go to war, we ought to be gentle with the citizens and the people around us, not just destroying everything in our path. Do you understand, if you want to stretch this out to the most extreme situations, I'm still telling you we can be gentle in life, even if we have to go to those extremities. But most of us don't live in those extremities, so we should be able to easily see how we can be gentle now. Be gentle with our boss. Be gentle with our employees. Be gentle with our spouse. Be gentle with our children. Be gentle with our parents. Be gentle with our neighbors. This will put a way of living in our heart that will keep us at peace. As much as it depends on us, we are to live with peace with all men. Can I hear an amen? The next thing that we learn is that we're supposed to know the Lord is near. We're not supposed to be willy-nilly and just let everything go down to hell in a handbasket and say, Jesus, come rescue me. Beam me up, Jesus. No, but we are supposed to have an understanding that everything here is going to pass away. 
a woman who lost her husband in, uh, from cancer was reminded of his famous words. He would uh, see her getting frustrated and upset in life, and he would say this to her, and it would make her mad at the time. He, he would say to her these kinds of things, and I want to see if my wife remembers. Do I want to put you on the spot or not? Do you remember? Come on up here. Let's give it up for my wife, Boobster Boo. What would this man always say to his wife when he would see her frazzled and dazzled, upset, and though there might have been good reasons, what would he say to her? Don't sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff. Yes. He would say to her, hey, don't sweat the little stuff. And by the way, it's all the little stuff. And I think about in life how we sweat the little stuff. And we all give ourselves permission to freak out, and we start to tell ourselves it's okay not to be okay. And I want to remind you, it is not okay not to be okay because you're supposed to be okay. And everybody now is singing the song, I got a tear in my beer, and I'm missing you, dear, and we're beautifully broken together. And they call it Christian worship now or something like that. But you're not supposed to be beautifully broken. You are supposed to go through life bendable, but you're not just supposed to learn to live with misery. What you're supposed to say is most of the things that are making me miserable are going to get burned up anyway. And so I'm not going to sit here in my depression. I'm not going to just say this is the way it always is. I'm not going to try to be beautifully broken. I'm going to understand God wants me whole and healed. And at the same time, he doesn't want me to sweat the little stuff. Because by the way, most stuff we're sweating is little stuff. The Lord is near. Is this going to matter a few years from now? Is this going to matter what we're getting so worked up with now? So we remind ourselves to rejoice. Our focus is in the Lord. We're gentle towards others, and we're always living with the understanding that this is temporary. Then we're given this other command, which I don't know how serious we take it or how real we think it can be lived out, but it says don't be anxious about anything. You're a soldier. I use the extremities because I want to make sure we go. That You're a soldier right now. Imagine you're there. Pray for them in Afghanistan. God is saying, do not be anxious about this. Why? Because a nervous soldier is not a good soldier. Do you want a soldier like this? Or do you want a soldier? Say, I ain't nervous. Let's go. What's the plan? If anybody's ever watched... Um, we were soldiers once. It talks about how they had to prepare these young men to go to Vietnam, and one of the men that was training them had already been in World War II and the Korean War. And when they showed up in the battlefield and the bullets were going off, the other men were just ducked down. They weren't moving. They weren't doing anything. And the guy's just standing up going, you get up and go over there. Well, why do you think he was a little bit more calmer than the rest? He had probably stormed the beaches of Normandy. He had already been in battle and war. And he's like, one of these will get me one day, but now's not the time. I've got to get you over there. You see, be anxious about nothing. Anxiety does not help us. Maybe the flight mechanism or fight does, if you want to call that anxiety, but the Bible is not speaking about that. Your heart racing, okay, i got to run from this tiger or fight this tiger. That's not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is talking about a worry. Worry does not solve our problems. As Corey Tim Boone says, worry does not answer tomorrow's issues. It robs today's peace. You don't get something out of worrying that's beneficial. So God is saying to us, just stop it. 
Quit it. Sometimes we watch these shows and you'll see the hypochondriac person acting all crazy, but we're going to die. And somebody slaps them. That's what you need to do to your flesh. Snap out of it, man. We have to do something. And you doing this is not helping us. How many know what I'm talking about? And you've got to do that to yourself. Slap your flesh and say, this is not helping out. God help me to not be anxious about this situation. Because in every situation, with prayer and petition, with a side helping of thanksgiving, now present your request to God. So the anxious mind is going to begin to rejoice in God and his goodness, and everything that is a worry will become a prayer that has a good portion of thanksgiving in it. This is how we're supposed to live. So if you want to make an excuse, this is where you can make it and say, well, I don't believe this Bible. I don't believe it's for me. And you can keep going to counseling for $100 an hour and making sure they have a boat at the lake, okay? No offense to counselors. Keep doing your thing. But some of you, you need to get the counsel of the Holy Spirit on this. We need to understand this is how God commanded us to live through the Apostle Paul. This is not wishful thinking. This is victorious thinking. This is how we overcome. This is the practical living of Christianity. And we're presenting these thoughts and fears and all of these things, and we're giving them to God. Like the one from Saving Private Ryan who's sniping in this extreme situation. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We're not allowing the worries to shake us up because once we get shooken up, guess what? The kids get shooken up. We start handing down our bad habits of nervousness. Oh, I just couldn't sleep because you were out last night. Oh, I just couldn't sleep. And then the children raise up just the same way, and it passes from one generation to the next. Nervous, nervous, nervous. We have to break the cycles of nervousness over our families, over our lives. We have to build the habit of prayer and thanksgiving and stability and what God says here as rejoicing. Can I hear an amen? And the peace of God, here's the promise, will transcend all your understanding and will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So does it say, after you have decided to rejoice, to be gentle, to know the Lord is near, to not be anxious, but to pray with thanksgiving, does it now say, God will explain the situation to you and you'll feel better about it? Is that what he says? No, the peace of God will transcend your understanding. You're going to get peace, but you're not going to understand it. How you Have you ever been in a situation where you should have lost your mind, but God kept it for you? And at the end of the ordeal, he said, that's just how good I am. Trust me. I've gone through situations where I've just learned to trust God. And I say, how did I keep my mind through this? It was because God was keeping it for me. Peace that transcends, or as the King James says, peace that passes understanding. Let's say we have problems that are this high, and they need solutions that are this high, and our thinking is right about here, and we're going, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I'm making it, I'm making it, and then we get right about here, oh dear Lord, I'm not making it. I don't see how we're going to get through this situation. I know some of you are laughing, but others of you are, you're not willing to laugh right now because you're going through it, but I'm talking to you right now. Oh, I'm just hanging on, Jesus, how we get through it. God says, start rejoicing. Start being gentle. You can do that. 
and start presenting all these things to me with prayer and thanksgiving, and I'm going to give you an upgrade of peace that goes right up here. I'm telling you, I have walked and talked with people that could not theologically explain to me what they just went through. And I was upset because I wanted the four points and a poem, and I wanted the help me book that I could go through it. And they would tell me, I trusted God. I prayed. I got up in the morning. I kept serving, and I made it through. I'm thinking about my brother right now that's old enough to be my father, but I consider him like a dear brother, Pastor Ray from the Philippines, serving the Lord. Every time I talk to him, something's going on, something's always happening, and I can't figure it out, and nor can he, but God does a great work in his ministry. God does something in the orphanage. God did something in his health. God did something in his finances. The peace that passes understanding will do what? Guards your heart and your mind. And the peace says, no, you can't come in. You can't come in. And it will start to guard you from your worst fears, from your anxieties, from those things that are haunting you. That is the cycle. Does everybody get it? We start here rejoicing and we end with peace. And those things in the middle are the things that God is asking us to do. We have to be obedient to that. That is what we're asking God to do in us and through us. And I think maturity is found in those places. Now, I want to put up a slide here for the last part, verse 8, that teaches us when he says, finally. Now, now here's how I want you to think about it when you're thinking about it. Somebody say, you got to think about what you think about. You guys must be hot, tired, or not paying attention. Can everybody say it like you want to say it this morning? Come on, somebody say, I got to think about what I think about. Thank you. Paul says, I want you to think about what you think about. Finally, man, come on. You got to think about what you think about. Some of us, we just let that old thinker just go on a autopilot, and it's coming up with these thoughts. You know, they say almost a second a day, a second out of every minute, you're thinking a thought. So what is that, 60 thoughts every minute, thousands of thoughts a day. Most of them are negative. Most of them are putting yourself down, looking negative at situations. And what does he say? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying you got to filter your thoughts. So the first thing that I'm going to filter my thought about, uh, what I, you know, when I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about, is I'm going to filter it through, is this thing even true? Is it even true? How many things are we thinking about today that are not even true? Do you know that I, as a pastor, have thought thoughts about you, and I've gotten myself all worked up, and it wasn't even true? Do you know that I've had people from the church in my house when I've lost something, and I thought they stole it? (laughs) I'm being honest with you. I was about ready to ham them up and say, I'm searching every one of you interns. I'm searching every one of you deacons. And it wasn't even true. Oh, I can't believe the pastor would think that. You would be surprised what I have thought in my life. You know, come on. How many are thankful for repentance? The first thing you have to ask yourself is what I'm thinking about. Is this even true? Now there are some true things in life. You can die in a car accident, so you should buckle up. Think about it, right? You can die from not being healthy. Think about your health. Yeah, so there are serious things to think about that if we don't think about can have negative repercussions. But are we supposed to think about every possibility that can happen in our life that can work out for our negative and harm? No, it's not even true. 
It's not helpful to keep thinking about it. They have now found out that stress and negative thinking, this leads to a lot of our physical problems now. That as the mind goes, so does the body. And that those who are going through other issues, as their mind goes, it helps with their body. How many have heard that before? Those dealing with serious illness, as their mental life goes, it helps their immune system. Because a healthy brain helps a healthy body. Your brain is part of your body. It's part of your nervous system that then impacts your immune system. The next thing you need to think about while you're thinking is, is it noble? In other words, is this an outstanding thing that I should want to achieve and do in life? Most of the times, we're not thinking about this. So we have to guard ourselves when we're looking at the news. The news, in some ways, may be true. There may be a lot of bad things happening in the world, but while I'm looking at the news, am I coming there for a noble purpose? Or am I just becoming addicted to the train wreck of life? Somebody got murdered. A child got drowned. These people committed suicide. Wars over here. How many know that's depressing? So if you're going to look at the news and discern what is right from wrong, and maybe there's some you know, good news that actually some bad things going on, you have to discern in your heart, do I have a noble purpose in looking at these things? Because if you're looking at it for the sense of the train wreck, it's going to continue to bring you down. Most of us can get free from stinking thinking if we just shut off social media, the news, and so forth. The next thing, is it right? Is it right what is going on here? Can I be a part of the right? The next thing, is it pure? Is this the kind of thing that I want to be a part of? The next thing, is it lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy? Is God going to give me a praise uh, reward on the day of judgment for what I have thought about during this time? Somebody say, think about these things. Amen. Now, going back to the passage. Going back to the passage, we see that this is how we think. And then Paul ends by saying, now, I should be an example for you. And I hope by God's grace I am and, and the other leaders here are as well. He says, now, whatever you've learned, as I'm rejoicing in the Lord always, being gentle, making prayer requests unto the Lord, knowing the Lord is near, letting the peace of God guard my heart, thinking about these things. He's saying, whatever you've learned of me, received or heard, or seen, put it into practice. Keep doing it, and the God of peace will be with you. How many think we should be leaders that are setting the examples to those around us? We should be able to say to our children, handle situations the way I do. How many grew up in homes where that wasn't necessarily said or done? You know, you didn't want to handle a situation like your mom. And I'll just be honest, my mom was a little bit crazy, okay? And she loved me, but she was crazy. And she loved me enough sometimes to do the right thing, but sometimes out of her own anger, she would do the wrong thing. And guess what? It led to me doing the bad thing. Here's my example. So one day, my mom and I were in an argument. She got so mad at me. She said, well, you know what? You don't appreciate me, so I'm going to do this. She ran up to my room, took a painting that I had made, that I had loved, and she said, you don't respect me. I'm not going to respect you. She ripped up the painting that I had made. How many know that's not good parenting? I love my mom. I forgive my mom. My mom's asked me to forgive her. Some of the moms, you just, you upset that I'm talking bad about my mom. Keep that in the house. Don't ever talk about your mom. Come on, Joe. But I got to be honest, because let's be honest as moms. Sometimes we do things we shouldn't. So she does that. What do you think the teenager and me did? I went and kicked a hole right in the wall. 
I said, I'm going to tear down the house. My dad had to come, down, come home and settle it, you know. Then I ran away from him. Seriously. Because my mom would amplify like that. Well, I'm going to rip it up. This, this matters to you. I'm going to rip it up all out of control. I'm going to kick a hole in the wall. What did we solve? Nothing. That's, that's not the way we do things, right? And so we have to see it modeled out before us. You should see it modeled out in my life. I should see it modeled out in your life. My children should see it modeled out in mom and dad's life. Sometimes, you know, we do homeschooling. We were doing it before it was cool, okay? But we do homeschooling, and sometimes I hear my wife, and she, you know, she's, sometimes she's like a nun. If you've ever heard about the private school mom nuns, she goes from teaching to whooping real fast, okay? <laughs> I hear it go from like the ABCs to whoopsh, I hear something going on down there. I have to go down there and check on her, go check on mother, Mother Nancy, see how she's doing down there. And I'll go check on her and I'll say, okay, okay, we need to, we need to, set, we need to make this a little bit different now. And, and, you know, same thing with me. Sometimes I'll be teaching my kids something and Nancy will come in and she'll say, you need a little help. And I'm like, no, I don't. She's like, yes, you do. You need, you need a little help. You need my help right now. And we have to submit to one another. When we see each other out of control, we need to help each other in these situations. Once again, this is not saying that we're going to ignore the big things of life, the extremities, the things that happen and push us to the limit. But at those times, can we be there for each other to remind each other of this principle? Rejoice in the Lord, brother. I know we've just gotten good news, but God is still good. Let's rejoice in him. It's getting quiet when I talk like that, isn't it? But it's true, it's true that many of you hear it now, but on a tough day, you might take that the wrong way. And yes, I am, like you, not approving of flippant rejoicing. And I am not approving of people just saying, well, get over it, just rejoice. I do think that when it's done flippantly and not done with proper care and concern, it can lead to a bad relationship or the breaking of a friendship. But I am at the same time also getting fed up with people telling us not to tell them what we think they should do, but we should just listen. I am getting fed up with that as well because now everybody wants to say, before you say something, you just need to listen. And then they just go on and on and on with their little pity patty party. Can this pastor get free right now, okay? And then they just go on and on and just listen, just listen. Sometimes I just need you to listen. But here's the thing. After they've done all that talking, and trust me, I have listened, they don't receive any of this here. So sometimes I'm like, before we get into the listening part, can I just see, are you open to this? Because I know, it's, I know it's therapeutic for us to talk through situations. I'm hearing you on that, and I know it's wrong to flippantly tell people to get over it. I'm hearing you on that as well. But what I'm asking you is, are you hearing this from the Scripture that we need to encourage each other to rejoice in the Lord always? So listen, it doesn't matter if I have not been a red-headed stepchild abused by my parents that wet the bed until I was eight and I had my bike stolen from me and I lost my puppy and I just had a flat tire and my grandma died, my dad died, and my mom died. If I have not gone through all that, I understand that I don't understand you. But can I give you some help from the Bible? Can I tell you how the Bible says to go through it? My red-headed stepchild lonely wet in the bed friend. Because what everybody wants to do is put themselves in a category to go, it doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to me. It's easy for you to say that. 
it's easy for you, doesn't apply to me, and that is not Christianity. Please, listen to me, please. On my hardest day, if God forbid my children going home separately in the vehicle were to get into an accident as a family has once before, and all of them pass, six of them with my wife, please remind me in that time to still rejoice in the Lord. I'm asking you, hear me, comfort me, let me get it off my chest. I I probably will want to say a few things, but then encourage me, rejoice in the Lord, Joe. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, what if I say back to you that day, but, but what do I have to rejoice in? I don't feel like rejoicing in anything. What do you say back to me, Joe? It was never, if you were ever doing it right, Joe, You were never rejoicing in your children. You were rejoicing in the Lord who changes not who gave you children. If you were ever rejoicing correctly, you were rejoicing in the Lord who gave you a job, though a job comes and goes, but he never changes. If you were rejoicing correctly, Joe, 24 hours ago, you were rejoicing not because you had ice cream, because ice cream comes and goes and goes somewhere else, but you were rejoicing in the Lord. So, Joe, even though life has changed, God has not. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Rejoice as you make funeral plans. Rejoice as you prepare seven caskets. Rejoice as burial sites are made. And then you say to yourself, wow, it's easier said than done. Well, I'm glad that I have sassy people that I'm ready to answer. How about, since we were talking today about persecution, a story that brought tears to my eyes. It comes from the persecution of Christians in Romania. This was during the late 50s, early 60s. Now imagine this. All of the West and the Allied forces had set free those who had been occupied, and we as Americans had come back home after dropping some bombs on Hiroshima, doing what the good Lord intended to do, which I think if you don't listen, you got to do it. And that was as gentle as it could be. I'm going to be honest with you. And I thank God there's still a Japan left because of what they were doing. Don't think that contradicts anything. Just know that I believe in a just war. And sometimes to save the lives of many, you got to drop it like it's hot. Can I hear an amen from anybody who wants to go there? But I'll go there. Now, imagine Eastern Europe, though. They didn't get the memo. It wasn't over for them. Communism now was rising up in their ranks and taking over their country. And so precious brothers and sisters began to get arrested while America was going on with life. We were free. We were able to go back home, apple pie, drive throughs And there's a story about a precious Orthodox priest who's brought in 70 years old into the jails that are underground in Romania. And this is what Richard Warmbrand, a Romanian pastor, tells about this Orthodox priest. He says, the first man that I met was an Orthodox priest. He was put in jail at the age of 70. His name was Suriano. When he was brought in with his big white beard and white pale face, others of the officers, uh, some of the officers at the gate of the jail began to mock him. They said, why did you bring this old priest here? Another replied with a jeer, probably to take the confessions of everybody before they die. The priest had a son who died in a Soviet jail, 
His daughter was sentenced to 20 years. Two of his sons-in-law were with him in jail, one with him in the same cell. His grandchildren had no food. They were forced to eat from the garbage. His whole family was destroyed. He had lost his church. But this man, somebody say this man. This man had such a shining face. There was always a beautiful smile on his lips. He never greeted anyone with good morning or good evening. But instead, his words were, always rejoice. Do we get the context here? I mean, that just kind of helped most of us get out of our pity patty party. That kind of, I think, answered most sassy responses from anyone in the pews thinking, you just don't get it. He's responding back as he sees people, always rejoice, with a smile on his face. Always rejoice. That's his message to everyone. Always rejoice. One day we asked him, Father, how can you say always rejoice? You have passed through such a terrible tragedy. This is what he said. Rejoicing is very easy. If we fulfill at least one word from the Bible, it is written, rejoice with those who rejoice. How many have heard that scripture before? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, if one rejoices with those who rejoice, he always has plenty of motivation for rejoicing. Now, I want you to think about what he says here. He says, I sit in a jail cell, but I rejoice that many are free. He says, I don't go to church, but I rejoice with all those who are in church. I can't take Holy Communion, but I rejoice with all those taking communion. I can't read the Bible or any other book, but I rejoice with those who do. I can't see flowers. And then now Richard Wombrand inserts here, we never even saw a tree or a flower during those years. We were under the earth in a subterranean prison. We never saw the sun, the moon, the stars. Many times we forgot that those things even existed. We never saw color, only the gray walls of the cell and the gray uniforms. But we knew that such a world existed, a world with multicolored butterflies and with rainbows. The man goes on to tell his story. He says, but I rejoice with those who can see the rainbows and those who can see multicolored butterflies. In prison, the smell is not good, but I rejoice with those who have flowers around them and the girls wearing perfume. Others are having picnics while I'm in confinement. I rejoice with them. I cannot see my children, but I rejoice with those who can. I rejoice with all those who rejoice. Therefore, I am always rejoicing. I wonder when we as Christians are going to understand that. That we're not rejoicing just because everything in our life is okay. We're rejoicing because God is good and his kingdom never changes. And the things that we may not see in our lives right now, others may be experiencing those same things right now. And we ought to thank God for the ability even for others to see them. Maybe you've lost a spouse. You can still rejoice that people have spouses today. Maybe you've lost a child you can rejoice that children are still being born today. 
Maybe you lost your job. You can rejoice that jobs are still available today and people are enjoying them. You may be in a country listening to this right now where you have no freedom to go to church, but you can rejoice to know today we are going to church and shouting for you, brothers and sisters. You may not have seen your dreams come true, but you can rejoice because others are seeing their dreams come true. And when you trace it back, what are we rejoicing in? We're rejoicing in the Lord. We're rejoicing in the Lord. We're not allowing the troubles of this world to take our mind and our heart away from God. We're determining that this will be our way of living. And I believe when we do this, brothers and sisters, we'll be able to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, who wants to rejoice? Hallelujah. Band and altar workers, would you come? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We're going to sing that one more time. Some of you need to learn these kind of simple hymns because those have been helpful for me. Like how uh, Paul said, if you've learned anything of me, put it into practice, right? You know what I've learned? Is that sometimes in my most stressful moments, if I start singing a simple hymn, it bypasses my mind. Something about singing bypasses a whole lot of broken record thoughts. And if you begin to learn just a few hymns and you put them in your heart, when the troubles of life come, they'll come to mind. And you'll start praising God with these hymns. And you'll start to remember what God has done during those times when you sung them before. And they will have a track record. They will have a, like a passport. They'll have stamps on them of times where you've sung them and God has done great things in your life. I remember going through a hard time when we used to be at the Irving Park facility and it was a tough time. It was a recession and we couldn't afford it anymore and we had to find another facility. And it was embarrassing for me as a pastor, a person of faith, to shut down a location. And during that time, I was so discouraged because there was nothing I could do about it. I'm like a fix-it kind of person. Man, I'll fix it. I'll, I'll figure out a way. And I had come to the end of my strength, the end of my peace. And I heard the Lord teach me this passage. And part of what he wanted me to rejoice in was what he had already done in my life that I had already seen was good. So not only was I supposed to think about other churches that were thriving and doing well and other people who were seeing God's power and presence, I was supposed to go back into my past and go, God's given me many buildings before. He'll surely give me another. God has always provided for me before. Surely he'll do it again. How many go back into the past to testify? And then during that time, God began to teach me to learn hymns because Christians throughout the ages had to have songs they could sing without the karaoke screen. We're a little spoiled, aren't we? And so our songs just, you know, they have so many rhythms and melodies and verses and bridges and all these things. Well, sometimes 
they just had to make a song to a sound. So it sounds a bit Irish when we sing this doxology as it's known because that was a melody the Irish had and they put a song to it that they could remember. It's almost like if you wanted to remember something, you would put it to the happy birthday melody or something. And so a lot of our hymns actually were made that way because memorization had to be the way they did it. So I say all this to say, have you ever noticed when you're trying to learn a K-Love song or some of these other songs that you're like, mm-hmm, yes, Lord, and you go back into singing, you're like, mm-hmm, I don't know all these words, but I go into this. If you take the time to learn hymns, something will change, I promise. Try it, trust me. You'll sing the whole thing. Years will pass. Years will pass, and you'll be like, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the wonders of His grace. You might get a word wrong every now and then, but it's okay. You'll get it, and and they'll just start sticking in your heart. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. I'm telling you, you'll just start singing these songs, and they'll just start coming to your mind. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought. By day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. You'll memorize these. I'm telling you. My kids have heard me sing them terribly, but I sing them with a joyful heart. Take some time. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Put up the the lyrics here so they can learn it. You have to learn how to praise God. And to rejoice in the world in the world's most trying times. Whatever we go through, we need to set our heart on Jesus. Amen. Can we learn this one together? Let's sing it together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Father, we thank you today. As we prepare to move from this place, Lord, may we not leave your presence, and may we always be rejoicing in you. Help us not to look at the circumstances of life as a determination to whether or not we'll praise you. May we praise you in all circumstances because, God, you are good. You never change like shifting shadows. In a few moments, we'll dismiss, but right now, could you thank the Lord for some of the things in your life that he's been good to you or even think of things that he's been good to others in? Today, he's, he's worthy of your thanksgiving. Start there. Oh, hallelujah. God, I think of all that you've done for me and for others. You've been so good. Thank you, Father. Hallowed be your name. Hallelujah. Now as you begin to start thanking him, are you anxious about anything? Maybe you're here today, you're not yet a Christian. If you're anxious about where you go when you die, pray and ask Christ to be your Savior. Repent of your sins. Be born again. 
But for those of us here who are already Christians, what are you anxious about? Present it to God with the thanksgiving you're giving right now. God provide. God care. God protect. God watch over. God heal. God deliver. God help. God bring peace. Whatever your request is for God to do, bring it with thanksgiving. Bring it with thanksgiving that God is able to do more than you can ever ask, think, or imagine. That peace will come. Few moments right now. Susanna Wesley had many children die in early childbirth, but she still ended up having a big family. I think she had as many as eight to ten around her at one time. She had as many as 15 pass, you know, pass through her womb, but like I said, some didn't live. But Susanna Wesley would say, when you see mama take the apron and put it over her head, know she's praying and leave her be. Some of you need to learn how to shut things off and get alone with God. Because your practice is your prayer closet. That's the way you're going to do it out in the real world. Practice on your drives, in your commutes. Practice when you're at home. Practice an hour before you get to work. Practice on your lunch break before you get into that meeting. Practice the presence of God through prayer. And begin to believe that what you did in that moment of practice is going to continue on. A few more moments right now. Lord, I pray for peace to pass everyone's understanding. Whatever situations they may be facing, oh God, may the peace come. May the joy come. And help us, oh Lord, to help each other. To not flippantly give this as advice, but to truly mean it and to walk with people through it. And may we all mature in this to live it out. In the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Can we rejoice in him one more time?